Hey there, history fans, and welcome back to the History Explains It All podcast. I'm Melissa. Hope everyone's still having some gruesome fun with this spooky season. Unfortunately, Lauren is still unavailable for recording at this time, but I will definitely keep everyone posted on when she's coming back. She absolutely wishes she could be here for this particular episode. She actually specifically chose it for all of you to listen to. For us to do the research and entertain you with. So I hope on my own and I can entertain you with all the horrific tales to follow. And with that said, let's get into today's torturous topic, shall we? So this week we are talking about Marie Delphine Lelori and her mansion in New Orleans. I love New Orleans. Love so much. So Marie Delphine McCarty was born on March 17th, 1780, in New Orleans to a very rich white family. She was the second generation in her family to be born in America, as her family had actually immigrated from Ireland to Louisiana before she was born. At the time, Louisiana was actually still controlled by the Spanish. Her family actually had a history of military men and were, at the time of her birth, very large and prominent landowners in the area. Her father, Louis Bartholomew de Macarty, was actually knighted as a chevalier of the Royal and Military Order of St. Louis, which is actually a, a dynastic order of chivalry that began on April 5th, 1693, and started by none other than Louis XIV, and is a honor given to exceptional officers. So she was born into a very rich, affluent, large land-owning family that also had knights. So by 1794, her family actually owned a plantation with over 1,300 acres, 1,344 to be exact, which is a lot of land. And this apparently was also a neighboring the incredibly very wealthy Count Pierre-Philippe Mandeville de Marigny. And apparently she would become related to the Count via her uncle, who had a 54-year-long relationship with the Count's daughter. So according to records at the time of her childhood, her mother was apparently quite the hostess. And the household often liked to hold very large parties that would last long into the night. Apparently, her mother was also known as a bit of a prankster. One of the pranks that apparently she and the women at the party liked to do is have the men go swimming at the canal next to the house. And while the men were swimming, they would then steal their clothes and their shoes. So then the men would have to return to the house barefoot and only in their night shirts, which I going to assume today is like stealing somebody's clothes at the swimming pool and having them to have to walk home naked maybe not sure marie's mother actually passed away in 1807 and her father instead of remarrying began to carry on a relationship with a woman named sophie masson sophie was also a quarter black apparently at the time it was not uncommon for married or unmarried men to carry on a relationship with some of the mixed race women in New Orleans. And actually the McCarty clan specifically 
her uncles and her father and cousins, all a lot of her male relatives actually had various relationships with a lot of mixed race women in the New Orleans area. And they were all free as well. So none of them were actually slaves or anything like that. But it's very interesting that despite being married and having kids or just being in a relationship and having kids, you, they also had women on the side who it was very common to take up a relationship with someone who wasn't just white. So in 1815, Sophie gave birth to a daughter that they named Delphine Emissy McCarty. So that would make Delphine Emissy McCarty the younger stepsister to Marie and her brother Louis. Throughout her life, much of uh, Marie was actually married three times and gave birth to five children. Her first marriage was when she was 14. And again, this is the early 1800s, late 1700s. It was a normal time to do that, despite what we think about it today. And I don't think it, yeah, just you, but yeah. And her new husband was actually a high-ranking Spanish officer named Don Ramon de Lopez de Anglo, and he was a 35-year-old widow at the time. And he and Delphine were married on June 11, 1794, and the marriage would actually last five years until his death. She apparently was in Havana at the time, waiting for him to return from France. And on January 11, 1805, his ship sank off the shores of Havana, and, and unfortunately he died. Not long after that, she also gave birth to their daughter, Maria, and then buried her husband and returned home to New Orleans. Upon returning to New Orleans, she had a kind of a rather major surprise. So when she was born, New Orleans was under Spanish rule. It became under French rule. And it's now 1805. If you know your American history, at least we now had the Louisiana Purchase. So I don't know how long she was in Havana, but during the time she was gone, New Orleans went out of Spanish rule to French rule, and now she's come back. It's an American ruling. Interesting point in history there. So she didn't remarry immediately. She didn't remarry until she was 20, so in 1800, and this time to a very affluent man named Jean-Paul Blanc, who was 42. He was of French ancestry as well and was a banker, lawyer, and legislator by profession. He was also active in the slave trade in the area, and as well as an associate, apparently, of the famous pirate brothers, Jean and Paul Lafitte. You have to look them up. They are some very crazy pirate brothers. I want to say, I think Jack Rackham did an episode on Jean and Paul Lafitte, but just look them up. Some very crazy pirates. Uh, This marriage also took place not too long after her mother passed away and leaving her estate divided between her three children, so Marie and her two other siblings. And this particular inheritance left Marie with $33,000, as well as a plantation on the bank of the Mississippi River, 52 slaves, as well as uh, livestock for the plantation. And as a marriage gift from her father, he gifted the couple another plantation, which was on Charles Street, as well as an additional 26 slaves. So in today's money, her inheritance is valued at over $2 million just on her mother's side. Wow. 
So between uh, Marie and Jean, they would have three daughters and one son. And this marriage lasted eight years until Jean passed away. Apparently, he passed away with massive amounts of debt. In today's estimation, in today's money, that would be roughly two and a half million dollars in debt. Imagine amassing two and a half million dollars in debt within say seven, maybe eight years. Wow. Just wow. Not very good at business, apparently. So Marie ended up spending the next 10 years selling and forfeiting her slaves, her properties, and various assets that were under her husband's name in order to pay for his debts. And this debt almost certainly would have probably left her nowhere near as rich as she had been accustomed to from birth. But fortunately for her, I guess, her father passed away in 1824, leaving her with yet another massive inheritance. And in 1825, 24-year-old Dr. Louis Leonard Nicolas Lalori arrived in New Orleans with a mission to, quote, fix crooked backs and, quote, destroy hunchbacks. He was a chiropractor by profession. And in 1826, apparently one of uh, Delphine uh, Marie's children needed to see uh, a chiropractor. And apparently from there, their romance began. According to some of my sources, some of the tools used by Dr. Lalori to use for his chiropractic, again, this is the 1820s, so you're going to have some strange, strange tools. But apparently she thought they looked torturous and they both had a sadistic nature as we will certainly find out and uh, i'm guessing that's where this romance sort of took off from who knows but marie soon found herself pregnant with their son whom they named jean-louis lenard lalori and five months after he was born they decided to make their relationship legal and were married at the saint louis cathedral but apparently this marriage was not a happy one as several archive letters from friends mentioned that they were frequently fighting. And these early letters also make mention of Marie's early sadistic nature towards her slaves, whether it she was already kind of in that mind frame or she was taking her anger and vengeance out on her slaves that she had for her husband. I, it's not certain. By 1831, she was actually able to purchase a three-story mansion in the French Court of New Orleans at 1140 Royal Street. And this new home for the family did not make the relationship any better. And in fact, in November 16th, 1832, she formally asked for a separation from her husband from the local courts, claiming that living together was, quote, insupportable. And also, also claimed that he often beat her, particularly in public in front of friends and family. So five months later, she and Louis actually separated formally. They did not divorce, but they formally separated. And he apparently moved into a, a residence at the Plaquemines Parish. Now, most of you who are familiar with Madame LaLaurie know her for the torture that she inflicted upon her slaves. And I'm going to go a little bit into that now. So being rich and owning a mansion, being white at the time, was not unusual to own slaves. However, 
even at the time, her at least early behavior towards her slaves was somewhat unusual. And it was commented on that she was very kind to her slaves and even showing them kindness in public, which is apparently something you were not supposed to do. Sure. And even in two instances, she even set two of them free, granting them their, their, their freedom. And this happened in 1819 and a second time in 1832. I also found out that this is actually a term uh, in that this is called manumitting, which I've never heard of, but a term that was specifically used at the time in relation to giving a slave their freedom, learn something new. However, despite her outward kindness to her slaves, particularly in public, rumors did begin circulating that this kindness was only just that, a, an act in public. It is also known that her daughters were not immune from her rage, that if she found out that they tried to help the family slaves in any way after they were already punished, the girls themselves would also be punished. To what extent or how, we don't actually know. What is fascinating for New Orleans at this time, especially given it's the South and the Deep South, and it's the 1830s, is unlike most, if any other place in the South, New Orleans actually had laws in place that protected slaves from unusual cruel punishments from their masters and mistresses. And in a record actually written by Jean Bose, he alleges that Marie was actually brought to criminal court at least at one time for, quote, barbarous treatment of her slaves. Unfortunately, she was acquitted of this because there was a lack of people willing to come forward to testify against her. But for more specifics and presentations of these accounts and other records, check out the book Madame LaLaurie, Mistress of the Haunted House by Carolyn Morrow Long. It's very, very interesting to read. There are two true reports that we know. So if you think about a lot of the stuff you may have heard about Madame LaLaurie, or even in general context relation, Elizabeth Bathory. Most of what you hear is probably hearsay, fabrications for certain, a kernel of truth at least in some of this, but uh, most of the more outlandish stuff is probably fake, but believe what she will. But we do know that there were two reports of happenings for two of the slaves at the property. And one was that there was a slave we don't have a name, but apparently this particular slave was so scared of being punished by either Dr. LaLaurie or Madame LaLaurie that he chose to commit suicide by jumping out of a three-story window of the mansion instead of being subjected to their rage and torture. And the second, which was a little more, uh, has more reporting to it, was that of a 12-year-old slave girl named Liam who was said to have been brushing Madame LaLaurie's hair one time, and she pulled too hard, sending her mistress into a violent rage. And the young girl, so scared of angering her mistress, she also chose to jump out of a window and commit suicide to escape whipping and torture's horrific punishment. I cannot imagine how horrible your daily life has to be and how terrible the people you live with has to be that you would rather commit suicide. It, I, I just can't even fathom the amount of pain and suffering these people went through. So in the instance of the last report with 12-year-old little Leah, it was actually reported that witnesses saw 
uh, Madame Lalaurie burying the young girl's body on her property and reported it to the police. And she was she would end up being fined three hundred dollars for the time and being forced to sell nine of her slaves. Unfortunately, the cops also kind of looked the other way when she was able to repurchase those nine slaves. But if rumors were already circulating prior to these instances about the sadistic nature of Marie LaLaurie, after the death of little Leah, they grew even more. And eventually on April 10th, 1834, the mansion caught fire. And you'll see reports that they say that the kitchen caught fire, but the kitchen was outside. That's kind of how it was back then. If you look, if you've ever gone to historical places that were the Victorian times or much before, especially colonial places, the kitchen is not attached to the house like we have it today. It was an outbuilding, not an outhouse, but an outbuilding that was in essentially behind the main house that was used. So if it did catch fire, the rest of the house didn't catch fire, but it was also used for a variety of reasons in that way. So the kitchen itself was not attached to the main house. It was an outbuilding behind the main house, but it caught fire in 1834. And it was actually said to believe to have caught fire by one of the slaves in the kitchen in order to bring notice to the horrendous acts that were going on inside the house. And when the mansion was ablaze, onlookers and locals noticed that Marie LaLaurie was the only one standing outside the building when crowds arrived to help out. And because of the rumors going around of how she treated her slaves and not seeing any of them outside this burning building, many of the locals, knowing that there were still slaves inside because they hadn't come outside, rushed inside to try to rescue as many people as they could. Seven were actually rescued. Their, quote, bodies covered with scars and loaded with chains. And also, apparently, at the scene of the fire, there was a judge named Jacques Canonge. And apparently he came over to help out. And when locals told him of, of the tortured slaves that were still in the building, he actually found and located Dr. LaLaurie, who was, had come over to check out his property. Because again, he and Marie were not, were, they were only separated. They were not divorced. And the judge asked Dr. LaLaurie if he could take the slaves from inside and take them to safety. And it's said that Dr. LaLaurie told the judge, quote, there are those who would be better employed if they would attend to their own affairs instead of officiously intermeddling with the concerns of other people. Essentially saying, no, buy affairs, back off, go mind your own business elsewhere. The judge, though, being a judge, gave orders to break into the mansion and rescue those who were still inside. And upon finding the gruesome and appalling conditions of the slaves in the mansion, the mob also began to destroy the inside of the mansion. They were ransacking it, just destroying anything they could get their hands on. They were tearing out doors, breaking property, pulling down window curtains. And by the end, by the time the fire was done and the ransacking was done, the only thing that was left was the skeletal inside and the stone outer frame of the house. Eventually, it would have to be completely rebuilt from the inside. But during the mayhem of this conflagration of the mansion, Marie and her estranged husband actually made their escape via their coachman, who apparently is still loyal to them. And he drove them to a schooner that was over at the New Orleans Navigation Company on Lake Pontchartrain. 
And they boarded and fled and never to be seen in New Orleans again. And then it said that the driver took the carriage back towards the mansion. I have no idea why you would do that. I, I don't I don't see why that would make sense. But it said that there were witnesses who described a mob ascending on this carriage, completely destroying it and also stabbing the horses to death. What did the horses ever do? Jeez. But again, that could just be rumor. I don't know. Speaking of rumors, if you're eating, maybe skip the next couple of minutes. Or if you're not comfortable with descriptions of potential torture, maybe just skip the next couple of minutes. This episode is not very detailed. It's not like the Grand Guignol episode. I, there's not a whole lot of specific torture methods in here, but I am going to list a small bit of what was rumored to have happened in the LaLaurie mansion during the times that they owned it for the four years. But again, if you're comfortable with that, skip the next couple of minutes and uh, I'll meet you back at the end. So according to rumors and uncorroborated witnesses from the time of her abuse to her slaves kind of runs as thus. At least seven of the slaves she owned were beaten within an inch of their lives. There were some with eyes gouged out. Others had skin flayed off from sections of their body. And again, if you're eating, I apologize because maybe you should stop. But there is one rumor and uh, I wouldn't put it past her to do this. But at the same time, just uh, this one makes me want to be really sick. And I apologize. But one rumor actually said that she would punish her slaves by filling their mouths with excrement and then sewing their mouths shut. Yeah, I'm, I'm never watching either of you and centipede movies ever again. Not that I would want to anyway, but just. Um, there is one report that actually claimed a female slave had several of her bones broken and then reset to resemble a crab. I have no idea if that's possible. I mean, maybe. Why not? But I guess I, I, I have no idea. That sounds very unusual. Um, it also I've heard two different accounts on this that. One report says a female slave was found in the house wrapped in, in human intestines. And another says a male slave was found wrapped in his own intestines. Ugh. And some claim to have even seen chain slaves with holes in their heads. And if you've ever seen the ending of the movie Hannibal, you might know where I might be going with this. And when I say holes in their head, I don't mean like a trepanation hole, but more like part of the skull cap was removed so you could see the brain to a point where the rumor says that they would, between Dr. LaLaurie and Madame LaLaurie, would come and then stir the brains with a wooden spoon. That's, I'm pretty sure that that's actually made up. One often repeated rumor for the LaLauries was, especially for Madame LaLaurie, because she lived exclusively in the house, was that she would chain up her 70-year-old cook to the stove in the kitchen to where the cook would have to make the meals for the family but then she starved the cook and they weren't allowed to eat that sounds a little more likely it was often said that she also had secret slaves which were exclusively kept for her husband so that he could practice Haitian voodoo medicine on them that also sounds like a possibility now it's not certain how many slaves she had we don't have a report on that now, by the time she married Dr. LaLaurie, I don't know how many 
plantation she owned or how many slaves she owned. Because remember, she spent 10 years trying to eliminate her previous husband's two and a half million dollar debt. And uh, I mean, the mansion is big, but how many slaves were kept in the mansion? I think we're just specifically talking about that. I have no idea. It could have been anywhere between 10 slaves at any given time within the house, probably more, but maybe up to 50 slaves, not including the ones that were probably chained up and tortured. I'm just, it's a very big mansion. So I'm not sure how many slaves she actually had within the property itself. So if you didn't listen to that last part, welcome to the rest of the episode. So in regards to um, Marie LaLaurie's death and her legacy, it's not actually certain where she fled to, but it is believed that she went to Paris. One of her daughters actually claimed that she received letters from her mother sent from Paris, but these letters were never seen by anyone but the daughter. And according to poet, American poet specifically, William Cullen Bryant in the 1800s, he wrote about an encounter with a, quote, pretty looking French woman, a Madame LaLaurie. And he would talk to her when he boarded a ship that was bound for Paris. And he joined the ship on, in New York City on June 24th, 1834. And he actually published a, a journal describing this woman and the conversations they had. And in his publication, he described the horrific crimes that she was accused of, such as, quote, committing such horrific cruelties upon her slaves last winter in New Orleans. And he also wrote in his publication that, quote, her home had caught fire and in attempts to extinguish the blaze, it was discovered that several Negroes were confined, some chained in painful postures and others horribly wounded and scarcely alive. I don't know if that was made up or if that was a real conversation. I'm kind of curious to know on that one. So according to reports from Paris itself, she and her husband actually did make their way to Paris and their children would eventually move there as well. However, just like when they first got married, not too long after moving in together, Dr. LaLaurie separated from his wife yet again. And this time he actually moved out of Paris and moved all the way to Havana. Apparently it was a happening place in the 1830s. Now, in the late 1930s, a cracked copper plate in the New Orleans St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 was actually found with an inscription written in French and was inscribed with the name LaLaurie Madame Delphine McCarty. And it actually states that she died in Paris on December 7th, 1842. However, there are also reports from Paris that state that she died in 1849. It is actually believed that the engraving on the copper plaque or at least the, the what was believed to be a two what is it probably actually a nine it, it was just so worn over it was just uh, misread as a two according to a report from the prefecture of the department of the Seine, states that she died in her home but it doesn't describe as to what she died from that same res- report also states that she was buried on december 9th 1849 and it was laid to rest and the tomb of the Nata and Nobel families. And there are archive letters from her children that say that she suffered from a lingering illness. Of what type of illness, we don't actually know. There isn't even a record that states on January 7th, 1851, she was exhumed and then sent back to New Orleans for reburial, which might explain the copper plaque. Don't know if that actually happened. We don't know if we have 
specific records uh, of her being reburied in New Orleans. But she did want to go back to New Orleans, according to her children in some of the letters. While they were in Paris, she wanted to come back to New Orleans and die and be buried in New Orleans. And her children said, no, we forbid you from going. Uh, look what happened last time you were there. You're, you're not going back, at least not while you're alive. There are even rumors that I don't know how long they've been spreading around, but there are some that have, do believe or did believe at the time that Marie LaLaurie had even returned to New Orleans after living in Paris for some time, returning under an assumed name and restarting her reign of terror again in the French Quarter. I personally don't think that's actually true because I feel like if that actually happened, she would have been noticed despite being under a different name. Uh, and people probably would have noticed some more torture going on. I don't think that one's true, but it's possible that her body made it back to New Orleans after she died. We still don't have specifics on that though either. But we're also here for the hauntings because this place is certainly probably crawling with spirits. And I don't mean that in a bad way. So those who actually died at the mansion while it was still owned by the Lorries, or even after the mansion fire who were who died during the fire were actually uh, buried on the property of the mansion. And this, of course, plus the horrific acts that happened there, makes it to be very haunted or is said to be very haunted. In fact, locals in the area don't even refer to the mansion as the LaLaurie Mansion, but refer to it as the haunted house. And the house you see actually isn't wholly the original remains from the 1831 mansion. Again, the fire kind of gutted it on top of people ransacking and destroying the insides. After 1834, it actually sat vacant for four years before being rebuilt from the inside by Pierre Trastor, and that's actually what you see today. So this mansion, of course, is one of the most popular tourist destinations in the French Quarter, and many have actually said to see apparitions of former slaves, as well as including Madame LaLaurie herself. And it's certainly being one of the most popular tourist destinations in terms of haunted attractions in the country certainly one of if not the most popular haunted attraction in all of new orleans for sure uh, those who have been inside the mansion claim to have heard moaning coming from a room that was known to hold slaves they also say that you can hear footsteps echo throughout the entire house on a daily basis um, however you can't actually go inside the mansion today it has been a private property for some time and there are no tours inside the building but there are many tours, ghost tours, daytime tours that will take you up to the property line. And even on those tours are people who just sort of walk up to the property claim that when standing in front of the mansion and even just looking up at it, they are overcome with negative and dark energy and dark emotions. Now the house itself Post the torture, the fire, and the ransacking also seem to have sort of a haunted history of itself in terms of the structure. So it doesn't seem to have owners for very long. As I will mention, it has been used for a variety of different reasons over the years since 1838, being right after it was renovated. And like I said, it, since it was privatized, at least, it doesn't seem to have owners owning the property for very long, let alone people living in it for very long. And in fact, records of private ownership of the house show that owners have never had it in their possession for more than five years. 
Some of the owners of the mansion, since they were privatized, as many I'm sure probably know, Nicholas Cage bought the house uh, in fact around 2007, apparently with the hopes of writing the great American horror novel using the history and ambiance of the mansion as inspiration. Does that kind of hit home from anybody else or is that just me? I live for horror. I like writing. There's a cemetery about a block and a half from my house. I, I always just think that on a nice, cool autumn day, just take a notebook and go over there and sit in the cemetery and use the ambiance to do some writing. I've worked in haunted places. I've lived in a haunted house. Does that sort of hit home for anyone else or is that just me? Let me know. Be curious. But um, unfortunately, sir, as is also commonly known that Nicholas Cage soon lost the property to bankruptcy. He had the property for about two years. And some say this was at least in part due to a curse on the LaLaurie mansion. Afterwards, an oil tycoon from Texas bought the house in 2012. And then as of 2019, it was owned by Michael Whalen, who is actually a partner and collaborator with Faster Horse Pictures. And if that sounds familiar, that is the uh, the company behind The Conjuring and the franchise there. And apparently Michael and his partners from Faster Horse Pictures have been planning on creating a horror franchise using the LaLaurie Mansion as a central figure in those franchises. I have not heard anything new on that, but that was information back from 2019. As I mentioned, the home prior to being privatized was used in many different ways post-renovation. And eventually, or, or sorry, starting off, it became a public primary school for girls, specifically for African-American girls, a music conservatory, then an apartment building, and then a home for delinquents and runaways, and then a bar. So the lower level of the three-story mansion was actually used as a bar in around 1900, and it was sold to the public as the haunted saloon, which I think is pretty cool. After the bar, it became a furniture store, and then later on, it also became a luxury apartment building. So I see it, no one owns it or uses it for very long. And it was made into apartment buildings the first time in 1894. And although most of any hauntings you might see or hear or feel in and around the LaLaurie mansion are likely coming from the LaLauries themselves, and especially from those tortured and killed there, there was a man in 1894 who was brutally murdered in his apartment when it was first set up as an apartment building. And when the police arrived, they found the room ransacked and initially believed that he was the unfortunate incident of a victim of robbery. And while interviewing neighbors, one of the victim's friends told the police that his friend had a, quote, problem with sprites. And this friend dismissed his the victim telling him this, saying that it was just his imagination. But the friend then also told the police that the murder man said that there was a demon in his apartment building and it wasn't going to rest until the victim died. So prior to being an apartment building, as I mentioned, it became an all-girls primary school specifically for African-American girls. And soon after opening, the girls at apparently being in approaching their teachers and claiming that they were assaulted in which they would show their teachers the scratches and bruises on their arms and on their body. And when the teachers concerningly asked, who did this to you? The students would reply, that woman. 
Now it's a primary school. So these are very young. This is like elementary school, potentially. So these are six to eight year old girls. So it's not likely given. So if it was re- renovated in 1838, it was probably turned into an all girls school, from, say the 50, 1850s into maybe the 1860s. And the fire happened in 1834 and all that beforehand. So it's not likely that a six to eight year old knew much, if any, of the history of the structure of the building. And it's also the Victorian times. So it's very unlikely that the teachers would be sharing that info, especially with girls, because it's the Victorian times. But I, I doubt even today that there would be a whole lot of teachers informing six to eight-year-old students that there were horrific deaths and acts going on in a building that they were occupying. I just don't think that was something that the teachers would tell these girls. So were these girls just pranking each other? Or was it possibly Madame LaLaurie enacting more vengeance and revenge on those of African-American descent from the other side? I'm leaning towards the, the, the second one there. And if you want more ghostly hauntings, check out ghostcitytours.com. The link is in their source notes. They actually describe other hauntings and happenings that happened to some of the tour guides or people that had taken tours with them as they took tours over through the French Quarter and up to the LaLaurie Mansion. And last bit of unusual spooky facts today. Absolutely fascinating fact. I Oh, just because case. So as many people probably know that the LaLaurie Mansion, though not the actual mansion, it was not filmed at the LaLaurie Mansion, but the mansion itself as a structure was used in, I think, season three, maybe, of American Horror Story and with Kathy Bates actually portraying Marie LaLaurie herself. What I did not know until my research was that Kathy Bates herself has family connections to the LaLauries. And she also played LaLaurie. So that's pretty cool. Apparently, her great-great-grandfather was the physician to Andrew Jackson. So her great-great-grandfather also happened to live next door to the LaLauries when they were living in the mansion at 1140 Royal Street. Mind blown. So cool. And on that note, that's going to be it for today's tale of horror. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed it. And if anyone has been down to New Orleans and especially taken pictures of the mansion, absolutely please feel free to post them on our socials or just any pictures of New Orleans in general. I, it's one of my favorite places ever anywhere. I love New Orleans. So absolutely post them. I, Lauren and I would absolutely love to, to see them again. This is a specific episode she chose for everybody. And I guarantee you, she's very sad that she cannot be here today to relay all this information for you. Also, as a reminder, there will be a poll posted next Tuesday, October 26th for an upcoming episode we're having in November. And we will have the poll running till probably Thursday evening, maybe Friday morning. So go out, check it out, go and vote. I'll also be posting the info on our Facebook page. So feel free to hit us up there and comment on which topic you prefer us to talk about. You can also contact us through our email as well, which is historyexplainedall at gmail.com. And again, also, if you listen to us on Spotify, don't forget to check out our episode notes for any specific episode polls or questions that I've posted 
through our platform. We would absolutely love to chat with you. And with that said, I'm I'm gonna turn the lights back on because it's got a bit spooky here recording in the dark. And uh we'll we'll talk to you all next week as we continue to check through history to explain it all. Bye. <laughs>